Welcome to this month's episode of USAV's Bandwidth. I'm your host, Chris Salazar-Mangrum, with my co-host, Patrick Whipke. And we are accompanied today by founder of Base Associates, Brent Lowe. Before we get into uh, a little bit more about Brent, I uh, would first like to thank Sure and StudioPod as the Bandwidth Series sponsors. Uh, sure, with these cool MV7 mics. Hopefully our audio is coming through loud and clear. Almo Pro AV is this episode's official sponsor. Almo is the nation's largest professional audiovisual distributor. With forward-thinking product integration, training, managed services, and technical support, providing customers the full distribution experience on a local and a personal level. So we'd like to thank Brent Lowe and welcome you to this uh, episode. Brent, you are the founder of Base Associates, um, as I mentioned before, executive coach, consultant, advisor, counselor, and guide, as well as best-selling author of Lead Together. Uh, Brent, I read the book. Patrick's read the book. Incredible information. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about, uh, before we get into it, uh, where folks can go uh, to get some more information about Base Associates and Lead Together? Well, uh, real pleasure to be here with you both. Again, as always, love spending time with you. And uh, I, I think I need to get myself one of those uh, those mics. It'll be a nice upgrade from what I've got here. So. Uh, uh, you know, it can certainly for, help with that. All right. If if people want more information, you can go to base uh, b a s e associates dot com, and uh, when you go there, you can pick up uh, the first three copy or first three chapters rather of uh, the book, and that includes uh, some helpful uh, leadership tips and some uh, principles for helping you scale a sustainable, prosperous business. So uh, feel free to go and, and check that out, and that's where you can find me. Free content. I love it. Free content. That's right. And, and just looking at the content, so just to give um, uh, viewers and, and listeners a sneak peek, uh, if I can, just a couple of the table of content. Uh, we have uh, leadership redefined, so uh, empower, acknowledge it, and transform it. Journey to new ways of working. Conscious language. That was a very powerful chapter, knowing the words that matter. Um Resistance, purpose, values, principles, and aspirations, psychological safety, radical responsibility. So some very powerful chapters, some great language used in that. Uh, Brent, I'm curious, how did you get your start into this world of not only becoming an executive coach? Uh, we looked at some of your background. I know you have a psychology background as well, MBA, very very broad range of educational certificates. Uh, similar to myself, I always think, did you not know what exactly you wanted to do or how did you land there? <laughs> yeah, well, that's certainly part of it. It's been a long, windy road. I, I actually, my, my very first uh, job started in high school. I started my first company when I was in high school and it was in the music industry. So it was, uh, it was all AV and uh, I had my own AV system that I you know, trucked around to different spots uh, and, and things and then um, you know, went from there into an engineering degree, never practiced a day. So that was the first, okay, that was interesting. Uh, try something else. Started another company, uh, did uh, a national event marketing. Again, a lot of AV in that uh, world as well. And, um, and then went back and uh, completed my MBA and shifted into the world of um, kind of business and HR and working with uh, founder CEOs and helping them to scale their companies. And, and I did that for a while internally. 
And all the way along, I'd had a, uh, an interaction very early in my life, back in that time when I was building my first company, uh, and got introduced to the concept of coaching. And I just loved it. And it, it opened a whole door to me because I'd never seen anything, I'd never experienced anything like that before. And I knew very early on, this is what I want to do. I just didn't know how to get there. And it just took a while to, of different experiences and um, finally completed a master's in counseling psychology. And that really then allowed me to tie everything together and, and work with founder CEOs. And so that's what I do now is I spend uh, all day, every day working with uh, founders who are growing their businesses and the, the other senior members of their team to help them figure out how do we do this and how do we do this in a, a way that feels healthy. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to, to work in larger companies for a, a very small amount of time and, and see how the big companies do it and, uh, and then realize there's, there's so much as a company starts to grow where it, all that entrepreneurial energy starts to get stripped away and replaced by bureaucracy and and start to wonder is there a different way that we can do this it seems like everybody's following the same pattern uh, but are there are there different ways and so that's what led me down a path of of a lot of reading and uh, listening to to different voices and eventually ended up writing a book on the topic myself I love it. And you've actually had some uh, experience with even some members within USAV and you have even uh, helped with USAV um, in, in our meetings and just our approach, creating, co-creating, I should say, a masterminds group. Um, so a lot of awesome techniques that you bring to the table and just, uh, I think, a refreshing approach uh, for you know, small to mid-sized businesses. Now, do you only focus on small to mid-sized businesses or have you... Um, worked with enterprise level. I work exclusively with the uh, the smaller. I, I should say ninety five percent of my work is with the smaller businesses. Um, so generally, we engage as a team when the company's somewhere between five and forty ish people, and then we'll stay with them as they grow to a certain point. Um, now, every once in a while, we get an awesome opportunity to work with a fun team and you know we've done some work with Almo as an example which is much bigger than 40 people and uh, so <laughs> so that uh, so we do have some opportunity to work with the larger companies but the core of our business is working with the uh, the smaller emerging scaling organizations and so we actually met you uh, through ET group in Toronto and um, you know, looking at ET's model, it's a little different than, than the rest when it comes to the management structure. So, um, you know, part of, you know, our interest in that was, was looking at different leadership styles and, you know, talking about your book, you, you mentioned different leadership styles in there and, and ET group has a very different way that they manage, uh, their internal processes. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the different management styles? I think that was like a self-managed organization. That was one of the terms that I think were being used. Um, it seems progressive. What's the impacts or risks of that type? So e ET Group's a great example because ET Group has been around now for about 40 years. It's an integrator in Toronto. And about five years ago, uh, when Dirk Propfi uh, stepped in as the new CEO, it really, in, in a lot of ways, became a startup again, uh, based on a 40-year history in reinventing how they wanted to 
uh, to work. And so maybe let's take a little little side path here for a second, talk about self-managing, self-organizing, what that means, and I can bring it back into the context of ET groups. So for most of us, well, I, I think really for all of us, what we're most familiar with is an organization that's that's kind of built, structured like a, a pyramid. And so there is the the leader at the top, and then there's you know, could be executive vice president, vice president, directors, managers. And so we're all very familiar with that um, system. And it's interesting if we transported ourselves back a hundred years and I said, okay, here's a telephone. This is what a telephone looks like. This is what clothing looks like. This is what a car looks like, you know, and you'd, you'd look at those things and say, wow, those are so incredibly different from what we use today. And yet, if I went back and I showed you an org chart from 100 years ago, you'd be like, yeah, that looks pretty familiar. I know what that, that is, right? And so, so much of what's happening in the world is changing and the speed at which we're moving, as you know, everybody in this industry for sure knows uh, over the last year how much things have been changing. It, it does lead to the question of, okay, is this way that we have been organizing ourselves actually the best? And there was a time when the hierarchical organization made a lot of sense, um, especially when communication was slow. So, you know, you needed, you needed all the information to flow to a smart person at the top who could distill all of that information, make decisions, and then pass it back down to the team. And as you can imagine, that's a, that's a slower process. Um, and now we're moving so fast, what, could we or should we be doing instead? And so there's a new model that is emerging and it's called lots of different things, um, self-organizing, self-managing, teal, some people might recognize the name holacracy. Uh, we call it in our book, leading together. Um, but the concept at its core, whatever we name it, is about moving away from a hierarchy into an ecosystem and more of a peer-to-peer -peer network. And, uh, something that's based a lot more on radical responsibility, transparency, and uh, really shifting power in an organization. So if you think about a hierarchy, you can think about it from the roles perspective, but you can also think about it from a power perspective. So the higher up the hierarchy you are, the more power you have. So if you're at the, the bottom of the hierarchy, you don't have very much power. Uh, and Your influence is limited. Right, exactly. And, and also your speed and your ability to do things. So let's bring it back to ET Group. So if you looked at a, 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 a chart, or if I was to draw you an image of what ET Group looks like, some things you would see, there are no managers. So no one has the title of manager or people manager or anything like that. Um, it does not look like a pyramid. It looks like a whole bunch of circles nested kind of inside each other. So it actually looks quite confusing in one way when you look at it, it's like, wow, this is, so much going on here. But what you would also see is it, it kind of looks like an ecosystem and how different things are interacting. Um, so there's a much greater sense of radical responsibility. Now, the thing that, so that sounds like chaos often to people like, whoa, like how does that work? And the, uh, the reality is power, if we're trying to shift a power dynamic away from the hierarchy and, and away from a small number of people having an immense amount of power in a system, that power has to go somewhere. It's not like we can just strip it out. And so, so where does it need to go? Well, it needs to go into clear roles, 
clearer processes, clear decision-making mechanisms, um, uh, clear agreements with each other. And so if you were to go to, and, and, and people can do this, if you want to go to um, handbook.etgroup.ca, um, it's a public site, and you can see all of the different approaches and agreements, we call them agreements, that um, the team at ET Group has agreed to. So whenever somebody's trying to figure out, how do I get something done here, where in the traditional system you go, let me just go ask my manager. My manager will tell me how to do it. Well, I don't have a manager, so where do I go? Well, you go to the handbook, and in the handbook, it also directs you to coaches. So if you don't know, you can't find it in the handbook, or you're not clear in the handbook. So I'm one of the coaches for ET Group. We have a few. And so we're the folks that kind of help you uh, maneuver through the organization if you're trying to figure out, well, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this in this way. Okay, well, as a, as a coach, we can help you figure that out. So um, what, and the results for ET Group have been fantastic. Um, the, the organization is uh, doing extremely well, um, best, uh, best it's been doing in 40 years, and uh, just keeps getting, uh, keeps getting better as it goes. Uh, and it also allows ET Group as an integrator to, um, it, it, the team uses very progressive approaches with customers as well. So it's not just this is how we do things internally, but that radiates out then kind of like a ripple to the customer and the customer gets to see and experience that as well. I was just going to say, you started off by saying that, you know, when Dirk took over um, a, a few years ago, he kind of changed the way this was happening. And Chris and I were talking beforehand, how do you make that transition from the traditional hierarchy to this whole new approach? I mean, do you just like just rip the bandaid off and like I, I i can just see that from an organizational perspective people being like what the heck's going on here you know it's a great question and, and uh rip the band-aid off is a phrase that's often used is that is that what we're supposed to do um i i i certainly know of a number of organizations that have made the transition and from from one end of the spectrum of being we ripped the band-aid off on one day we said this is how things are going to be done here going forward. Um, that's tricky, uh, unless you're a really small organization. If you're still pretty small and you can get enough people around one table to have a conversation and make an agreement, um, then that works. Um, if you're a larger organization, then it tends to be on the other end of the spectrum, which is we take a small group of people who are interested in, in trying to do things differently and they start experimenting. And you'll hear us in our work use the term prototype a lot. So let's prototype some things. Let's try some things out and see what we learn because that really is how the ecosystem works. It, it's We try some things, we see what works, we continue to evolve. It's, all, it's an always evolving system. And uh, if you speak to somebody at ET Group, they would say that. They would say, yeah, we, you know, there's certain things that are now becoming more as, now that it's been five years are becoming more standard and predictable, but there was certainly a time where it was a lot of trial and error, try this, try that. So it does take a, um, on the part of those that are involved, it, it, it requires a willingness to step into that uh, sandbox. And to ask a whole organization to step into that sandbox is a pretty big ask. And so 
often it's like, okay, let's find some people who really are interested and excited about stepping into the sandbox and let them play for a while. And then other people start to get interested and, and it, it starts to, to move out over time. That's a lot of the work that we do as a team is we'll go in and help an organization figure out, okay, where are you ripe for uh, experimentation? And here are some experiments you can try. Let us help you with them. And then you'll eventually take them forward and, and make them your own. So there's a lot of open-mindedness, I think, from a leadership team or a leadership role that they would have to uh, really take ownership of instead of, I guess, the more traditional view of that hierarchical pyramid power at the top, right? Instead, you're, the leader's really expanding their power across the organization. So how, how, I mean, is that part of the prototyping as far as how willing is this leadership, leadership team um, to becoming open-minded about prototyping? Because if they're really just down the path of, hey, we need structure managers, uh, what is it, the, the quarterly reviews, annual reviews, um, if, they're, if they're in that mind frame, is it pretty challenging to then say, you need to be more open-minded or maybe this isn't a fit for you? I guess there's maybe two ways I can answer that question. First is for the individual or small number of individuals that are at the top of the current hierarchy. Um, that is wanting to transition. I will say that, you know, if you're starting a business from scratch, every business really starts from scratch as a lead together self-managed organization. So if the three of us decide we wanted to start something together, we'd sit around a, a coffee, you know, go to a coffee shop and sit around a table and, you know, we'd start talking about ideas. And then, you know, Chris, you'd say, oh, I'll, I'll do that part. And Patrick, you'd say, I'd do that part. And when are we going to get together and talk again? And, you know, so very super organic. And then at some point, uh, someone will come along and say, you're you know, you started out as three, but you're now like 12. I think you need some managers. And the natural inclination is to say, well, yeah, because that's what everybody else does. So I guess we need some managers. So then you start introducing managers. Then you end up, before you know it, you know, in a short period of time with a, a pyramid. So if you're starting without the pyramid, then that's one path. And you can say, okay, now how do we not make that decision to inter introduce managers? But for most organizations, they've already made that shift to the point where we at least have a bit of a hierarchy going on here. So if you decide that that's not the path we want to go on anymore, we want to, we, we've headed down this path, but whoa, we want to take a step back and actually get on a different path, then the individuals that are kind of leading that hierarchy need to be ready to say, I want to do this differently, and I am aware that I want to do this differently, and I am aware that doing so will be hard. You have to get through that stage uh, because what we have a tendency to do, and I'm sure you know the both of you and anyone listening can uh, uh, recognize this, is when we see that change needs to be done, we're very good at letting everybody else know how they need to change to suit us, right? But, you know, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about how do I need to change to fit into this new way of working? It's really actually about everybody else. And so these systems only work if the individuals who are 
uh, leading, and there there are still leaders. So I don't, you know, as as much as we don't have people managers, there are still those that have leadership roles in the organization. Those individuals need to be ready to do the personal work, and for those that have and. Um, we talk about this, we've got some examples in the book of people that have been down this journey and what they will say is it was hard, it was personally hard work, and it is the best thing that I have ever done for my business, for myself, for my spouse, for my children, um, because there's just so much natural, positive, personal development that comes from doing this work. Um, and and it just really does have that ripple effect out from the individual. I, I can I can only imagine, especially just as you're raising your self awareness level, right? And that filling in those blind spots, if you will. I'm sure there's a lot of epiphanies that those leaders are having. And what about let's say the teammates involved in that system? Um, with change comes either resistance, fight or flight, and some folks might not feel that they're a fit. And so is that just natural attrition then? And just saying. Uh, we've heard terms of, you know, right people on the bus. Um, does that just naturally wash itself out? It does to some extent. Um, yes, it's it's absolutely true that, first of all, as who, who uh, if you're the person that's leading this type of transition in an organization, first being able to recognize this is difficult for people. And it tends to be whoever is the leading person on helping the organization shift. So take Dirk at ET Group, for example. Dirk had spent a whole bunch of time researching, learning about, talking to people about this system. So he had a lot of knowledge and uh, lived experience. And then he brought it into the organization to a group of, at that time, it was about 45 people who didn't have that. And so being able to recognize that, oh, right, not everybody's at the same place that I am we need to create space and opportunity for, for learning. Once you've done that and um, you, you start into the transition, some people will resist. That's, a, that's natural. We have a chapter in the book on resistance for exactly that reason, because it's, it's, not, um, it's not an if, it's just a when that is going to happen, right? And so, so then the question is, well, what do we do with that resistance? The first is we listen because there is gold in that resistance. There's a lot of history uh, that the organization has of doing some really good things. And sometimes when we come into change, we start to disrupt things that are actually working. So do we need to change those things? Um, and, and so just really being open to the resistance and not trying to push through it. We have a tendency often when we see resistance to just like bulldoze right through that resistance doesn't work so well. What is the importance then with managing this change in people, the importance of the language that people are using? As we're trying to, actually, let me just finish what I was saying there for a second. I'll, I'll answer that next. So then when it comes to, you know, ultimately after you've done the work, you've done the listening to resistance. And, and then it may be that some people, this just isn't the right place for them. Um, we often get the question, is a self-managed organization for everybody? And the answer that we've come to over time from doing this work is no, it's not. That there are some people that just will not thrive uh, in this organization, or at least will not thrive in this organization right now. And, um, and that's okay. And, and it's a natural part of making that transition. So um, to your point around language, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting 
learning that I've had along the way because I came out of very traditional systems. When I was in HR and in my early days working with founders, I was a great pyramid builder. I was uh, an excellent policy writer that made sure that everybody stayed in line. And like I, I enjoyed power in my role. There's a lot of power in being an HR person and I loved it and I thrived on it. And so when you then want to go into another system, what you can start to recognize, if you have to pay attention to this and it, it does take effort to see this, but you start to see how words that we use now in our organizations have layers to them of meaning and a lot of baggage that comes with it. And so if we're trying to move to a new way of working and we bring all the language from the old system to the new system, we bring all that baggage as well. And so, um, you know, in, in just a, a general example that I use is, you know, CEO. We don't think a lot about the term, right? CEO, I get what it means, but it's chief, executive, and officer, right? You think about what those three mean. And then if you're going over to a system where you're like, I don't actually want everybody to look at me as the, you know, the, the be all and end all of everything, yeah. right? And yet you have a title that says that. So what some people will do is they may keep the CEO um, uh, short form, but they may change what the C, the E, and the O means as an example, um, because we're trying to help people realize that, yeah, we're, we're not doing that anymore. Um, we have in systems that we work, sometimes new people will come in and they'll say, well, you know, so-and-so is my manager. We don't have managers here. And so, but people are just so used to, oh, I take some of my direction from that person, so therefore they're my manager. Actually, no, they're not. Um, and so you'll find in the system and in the book, we use a lot of language that might feel a little bit to people like, yeah, this is, this feels weird. I definitely got that feeling when I was reading some of this. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can do this. And that's, that's change, right? That is change. Is if, if you're not feeling that, then you're probably not changing. And so the fact that we use slightly different language is very purposeful to make people go, yeah. And then it just becomes very natural. So I'll give you an example uh, at ET Group. Um, and you may have experienced this yourselves, Patrick and Chris, at some point, is when you start a meeting at ET Group, there is always a check-in. And you know the language, they will call it check-in. They'll say, let's check in. And everybody on the call does a round. There's normally a question that's posed or something, and everybody will, will do their, their check-in. And it, is, it feels weird and awkward now if we started a meeting without doing a check-in. Even if it's just like a really quick one-word check-in, right? Give us an example. Let's try one real quick. All right, so go ahead, Brent. Give us a check-in question. Yeah, okay. So how are you arriving, feeling, doing today? What's your like personal check-in? And um, what's uh, something you're really excited about this week? Go ahead, Patrick. Uh, so I just, I got some news that uh, I need to have back surgery. So I'm arriving a little, you know, I'm trying to figure out what my next steps are. So that's in the back of my mind, but I'm excited about the weekend. Uh, it's Father's Day weekend. So I'm a father. So I'm really excited to celebrate the weekend and be down the, uh, down the Jersey shore. I am arriving extremely grateful that we're able to spend this time with you, Brent, because I enjoy our moments together. Um, and a little, uh, 
not worried, but concerned feelings. Heart's going out to Patrick because we talked earlier about some of uh, the ailments. So that's in the back of my mind as well. Uh, but I am optimistic as always. So I know that we're going to end up okay. So, so this goes around the room basically, right? Yeah, it goes around the room. Everybody contributes. And I, I love your example, Patrick. Um, and my heart goes out to you too uh, for that. And um, it, it it's, gives you an example because normally we walk into a meeting, we don't do a check-in. And we just assume that everybody's like ready, fully engaged in that. And so now if we were going to a meeting and we knew that Patrick, you just got off this phone call, then, you know, we might have a different expectation of the level of contribution that you would bring or like how clear your head is going to be um, for uh, for the meeting. And um, and this happens all the time. I mean, I was on a, a call a couple of weeks ago and and somebody said, you know what, I got to be honest. I'm a little hungover and it's like, okay, good to know. Thank you. Thank you for telling me. So that's just one small example. We call those micro practices. So little things that you can do to shift the culture in your organization. Um, they're very simple, but you can imagine for somebody that's been doing a meeting for a long time and all of a sudden coming in and saying, let's check in. Ugh. That's what, what's that mean? And, you know, feels like it, it, it feels different. Right. And, um, and, and that's change. So that's the, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath as a leader and I'm going to do this. Yeah, it seems to not necessarily expose, but it, it, it creates more of a vulnerability amongst everyone to where sometimes maybe the mask is on to, you know, they're, they're shielding emotions and it's all business, 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 execution, execution. But when you, create that space for someone to be a little bit more vulnerable, then you can actually start making more personal connections, understanding where they're coming from. So I, I, I think the approach is brilliant. And I think the human connection um, it needs a lot more of that. Yeah. And especially now as we're in this world where it's, it is fully hybrid. And so we went, you know, almost on a dime from a, a workplace, from an AV perspective, for sure, where it was, Okay, the first priority is the people who are in the room at the office. And then we'll figure out how to get all the others kind of like into the into it, right? You know, the, the, the typical speaker phone on the desk where you've got eight people in a room and one at home trying to like make out what's going on. And now all of a sudden it's like, no, it's video first. Um, there's an expectation that the person who's not in the room is having the exact same experience as the person in the room. Um, and, and then what we also get is we get... You know, people are at home and I've been on with both of you when you're at home and that just it breaks down another wall. Right. That it's like, oh, I, I feel like I get to know Chris a little bit more. I get to know Patrick a little bit more. And the check in is just one more example of of doing that. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And uh, we, we talked a little bit about I think Patrick was getting into the uh, the, the leadership transition, uh, you know, within these types of lead together systems. Uh, I guess are there room is there room for people to take on a higher leadership role or is there a next generation leadership there is there a promotion uh, is promotion even a term that should be used but uh, what does that transition look yeah. like for that great next generation great catch leader? Uh, on that Chris of you know that's just a great example of do we use that word anymore um, so uh, first of all when you think about and the reason that we call called our book lead together is the concept that really we're peers on the same level with different responsibilities. Um, and 
we're all leading this together. So we all have the opportunity to lead. In reality, what that means is when you're taking people that have grown up in a hierarchical system, some people need to learn what it's like to lead without power and without having a big title. And, you know, it's still possible to lead, but you're not leading with, because I have this business card, uh, this title on my business card, therefore you must do what I say, right? So, so there's a, a learning for leaders that have traditionally been more uh, in the upper echelons, let's say, of a hierarchy. But then there's also the opposite of people who have not led before, learning actually how to lead and having the confidence to step in. There's a term we use called learned helplessness. When you've been in a, a, a pyramid hierarchy for a long time, and you're used to other people making the decisions and not actually having the, the ability to make decisions or, or having made decisions and just having them always overruled by somebody else, then you learn it's not safe to make decisions. And so there's a, there's a development opportunity there. So from a development, there is lots of development opportunity for everyone. From the sense of how do I grow within an organization, there's a mind shift because we would traditionally think of, well, how do I get to a higher place in the hierarchy, right? How do I get closer to the point at the top over time, right? And so there is a bit of a mind shift of it's not so much about that, but it is about expanding our portfolio of knowledge and experience so that we can take on higher levels of responsibility within, and, and when I use the word higher there, I mean um, within a dynamic context. So there is, there's a misnomer that within a, a self-managing system, there is no hierarchy. That is not true. The difference is that in a traditional hierarchy, it is rock solid, right? You get your, your title and it puts you in there and then that's where you sit. Whereas in a self-managing organization, it's very dynamic. So there might be a time, Chris, where you're leading um, Patrick and I because you have the most experience and knowledge in an area. And then on the next thing, Patrick's leading because of his background and his experience. And then maybe I'm leading something. So we may all be developing in different ways so that we're each becoming uh, more, we're gaining more experience and, and strength within our own portfolio. Uh, so that we can take on bigger projects, um, but it's not, doesn't permanently give us a higher spot in the hierarchy. Might lead to higher compensation as an example, because I have more experience, more knowledge, I can take on bigger projects that warrants more compensation, um, but that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm then pegged into a hierarchy. So essentially title, title and compensation aren't tied at all. They don't have to be. Yeah, and, and often aren't. So um, as much as possible, we do try to separate those two things um, because when we're not using managers and some of these other more traditional um, titles, uh, then we want to try and separate those two things as much as possible. Yeah. And there's some power, I think, in learning to lead as a follower as well. When to just shut up, listen, and contribute if you are usually in that leadership role. Yeah, which isn't easy for some people right like it's that and that really is the definition of leadership within a self-managing organization is people want to follow me in this area on this project 
Um, so I've earned the right to lead in this area um, rather than I take it because it's a, it's a title. And likewise, I am trusting that person to lead and therefore I'm happy to have them lead and, and me not. I wanted to, uh, to, to change gears a little bit and, and uh, we could, I could talk to you all day about lead together, the self-managed organizations, the differences between the two um, hierarchies, et cetera. But you know, what we've, when, when, when we were introduced, we were introduced to you as uh, to help facilitate some of our meetings and some of the meetings at the time that we were first introduced to uh, was from, I guess, the menu, if you will, of what's called liberating structures. Mm -hmm. And I recall the first, one of the first uh, interactions we had was through a technique called open space. Um, we went on to one called, I believe, Troika. Yes. And, or the fishbowl exercise. Could you, could you spend a little bit of time about the you know, the, the power in these types of facilitation techniques and then how they might even wrap into, because um, I know they were called out in, in, in your book, books, excuse me. So what, what is the power behind these liberating structures? For sure. So if you think about a self-organizing system, whether it's a company or just a, a group, like you can think of, um, you know, the, the USAV body as an example coming together into a meeting that if you want it to be more like an ecosystem coming together, then um, we need a way, we need tools to help bring everybody's voice into the conversation and for um, ideas to bubble up and uh, get traction, for people to get answers. So it, we, we often don't think about this, but if we're the, in a traditional system, we're the leader, we're the manager, and then we step into a meeting and we take control of that meeting whoever is facilitating a meeting by nature has power. There's power in just being the facilitator of a meeting. Then if you are the leader, the manager, uh, what have you, there's also in your title power uh, and things. And then if you are, have been in the organization longer than everybody else, there's power in that. So we're just layering power one on top of the other, which can make, um, groups, bringing groups together for free-flowing dialogue, more challenging. And so Liberating mm -hmm. Structures is, it's um, liberatingstructures.com is the, the website address. You can go, you'd see there's 33 official Liberating Structures, and then there's others that are in, in development. And in all cases, they are designed to help level uh, power within uh, a group. And... Um, be able to create an environment where everybody has a voice, where everybody can speak. And, you know, what I said earlier, if we want to take um, power out of a single individual, it has to go somewhere. It doesn't just disappear. We need it to go out to a system. And so in this case, you know, liberating s structures basically are 33 systems where we can help to distribute power in a conversation. And, um, so you talked about Troika Consulting as an example. That's an opportunity where if, Chris, you had a, a, a challenge that you were facing and you were looking for some help, then there's a system, uh, an approach that we could use where you talk for a little bit, then you turn your camera and your, your mic off, and then Patrick and I would act as consultants talking back and forth like you kind of weren't there, but based on the facts and, and then you're, you're writing down messages and then you come back, share what you've heard. So in that case, all of us have had a chance to contribute and participate in that conversation. Um, 
And so that's where yeah. open space was a fun one too. The open space, there is no leader, right? The first meeting, yeah, no leader and no agenda. It was a self, I guess a group made agenda, right? And then you pick where you want to spend your time in and the butterfly and all of that stuff, you know. But Brent, I, I think you hit the nail on the head talking about, you know, us as USA, USAV as an organization. I mean, th that's one of our founding pillars is bringing all those personalities and peoples and titles into a room and then level setting everything and, and using everyone's individual experiences to, to then better grow the group and grow each other. I mean, that, that that's one of our founding principles. And, and that's why, you know, some of these techniques have, have helped so well in some of our meetings because everyone's experience even though it's an AV industry, I mean, everyone has a different experience and, and different um, things that they've learned throughout their career. So the more that they can contribute and help others, th 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 that's what we're all about. And, and that's true in pretty much any room where there's any meeting. We all have, by the time we get to the workplace, we all have a lifetime of knowledge and experience. And, you know, for sure, there are some people that have more knowledge and experience based on their study, their life experiences, their tenure uh, and things. Um, but we often discount the fact that there are other lived experiences in the room as well that can add to it. And so uh, facilitation is a, is a big one. And so in self-managing organizations, there is a lot of fac facilitation as a key tool and skill and structure that's used. So most meetings will have a facilitator. And generally, it's encouraged to be somebody, anybody, other than the person who is perceived to likely have the most power in that meeting. Either it'll be an external person, so we do a lot of that through our company, um, but also just you know training people internally uh, to be a good facilitator. Yeah, and we've actually had you both in person um, to help guide and facilitate two-day meetings, day-and-a-half meetings, which is one thing. And then shifting into the virtual world, um, making sure those are equally as engaging, the virtual breakout rooms. Uh, I know that posed certain challenges in itself, but uh, just going through it with you, uh, you know, it proved successful. And I know that you're able to, to pull, out, pull out the rabbits in the hat, right, to make it a, a very successful, even virtual meeting. It's been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun meetings together, the three of us. We have, and, and I mean, we could literally talk to you for, for hours, just, just, you know, listen to your experiences with all of this. Um, I, I, unfortunately, we are, you know, running short on time and we want to be cognizant of your time. Um, so we, we really appreciate you, you jumping on and just kind of explaining some of these different leadership types, management, uh, you know, organizational structures. Um, you know, we, we covered a lot in, in, in a little, little bit of time here, but, um, I know, you know, Chris, was talking about your book earlier and obviously all of this, it, a lot of this is covered within your book. And, um, so I, I would assume you would want to point people to the book to, to learn more about these types of, uh, different structures and, and ways to lead. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to, uh, you know, we, we really created the book as, uh, an offering, um, to others, uh, to, to share our learning. And so, um, easiest place to pick it up is on Amazon. Uh, lead together baseassociates.com if you'd like to check uh, out the first three chapters and, and uh, there's some some really good nuggets in those first three chapters that would be uh, uh, I think helpful to anybody that's looking to scale scale their business it's interesting one of the um, questions I get most in my coaching I, I spend a lot of time with senior leaders is what exactly is my job 
And so we aim to answer that question in the in in those first three chapters. I love it. Well, Brent Lowe, coach, friend, uh, mentor, you name it. Uh, appreciate your time, Patrick. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you. It's like I, I haven't talked to you all day, um, but I truly appreciate both of you gentlemen taking your time here. Uh, Patrick did mention this won't air likely until July, August timeframe, but it is uh, Father's Day weekend. Um, so happy Father's Day, um, especially to the other fathers out there. And uh, we appreciate all you do raising the next generation of parents, husbands, fathers, um, keep doing the good work. And uh, signing off from USAV Bandwidth, uh, thank you again to our sponsors. Uh, Almo for this episode, and Shure, as well as StudioPod, for the USAV Bandwidth series.